0: America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, a a great nation that certainly feels a little bit greater with (laughs) all of a sudden our elected representatives being able to work together across party lines. To do what? To reduce spending on a national basis? to reduce the rate of increase at least in our national debt and to actually help avoid a default and an economic catastrophe congratulations to the speaker of the house uh... to the uh, honorable uh... Kevin mccarthy uh... we will be speaking to somebody who has been following these events with uh, some concern and certainly some perspective uh... david french who uh is just recently joined the New York Times as an opinion columnist has a tremendously influential much-discussed column recently called uh, the right is all wrong about masculinity we will get to that he also asks a question will DeSantis destroy conservatism Uh, which is a fascinating and pertinent question And then he also writes about why Ukraine needs those F-16s. David French, who is one of the most distinguished and successful religious liberties attorneys in the United States, uh, is also senior editor at The Dispatch and a contributing writer at The Atlantic. And he just returned from uh, Ukraine. And uh, you have a piece on why Ukraine needs those F-16s. Why are they so important, given the fact that uh, they won't be arriving until late September, we we now hear, which may be too late for the big counteroffensive? Why are those planes so important, David French?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question, and thanks for having me. Um, The way I – I think the single best way that it was put to me was actually put to me by the former defense minister of Ukraine, and he said, ask a NATO general how to defeat the Russians without aviation. In other words, uh, basically what he was saying was, look, war plans on how to defeat the Russian army, not necessarily in winning any given battle, which Ukrainians have won multiple battles, but if you want to – achieve a comprehensive defeat of the Russian military, it's very, very hard to do that without aviation. Um, and the reasons are many. So I'll just give you some of them uh, briefly. One is the existing Russian aircraft, which are, um, they have several hundred aircraft, which are called generation 4.5. In other words, there are five generations of fighter aircraft. The fifth generation, the most current generation 4.5 is close to that. And they just have a much longer range um, in their ability to see targets and to hit targets than the very old MiG-29s that the Ukrainians have. And so what that means is that in many places, Russia has the ability to strike parts of the Ukrainian line with impunity. They can use this uh, technique called glide bombing, for example, that allows them to bombard Ukrainian lines without any real fear of their planes being shot down. Also. Um, The Russians have really stepped up air attacks around Ukraine, and while Ukraine has good air defenses in certain locations, such as over the center of Kyiv, it does not – it can't cover the country, and F-16s give Kyiv the ability or give the Ukrainian government the ability to cover much more of the country with air defense, so they can neutralize one of the Russians' more effective tactics. They can cover much more of the country in air defense. And then also some of the other weapons that we've provided Ukraine are not as effective as they once were. So the Russians have learned how to counter the HIMARS missile, for example. And so the Ukrainians just need more offensive or more ability to strike Russian lines. And the F-16 would give them that ability as well. And then the last thing, Michael, is that um, you also have to have one eye on the post-war world. Uh, How can Ukraine deter new Russian aggression? And one of the ways that they can deter new Russian aggression is by building and supporting an advanced air force. And there is absolutely no time like the present to start doing that.
1: And uh, in in terms of Ukrainian valor, which you've also written about in your columns, that uh, could connect with the issue of uh, masculinity. Part of what you're saying about masculinity is uh, something that – as a, an old t- teaching in in actually in jewish holy books which is the essence of masculinity of power is uh, self-control
3: and mm-hmm.
1: uh w- what what is going on how do you connect those two recent columns of yours on ukrainian valor and its importance in this war and uh, the idea of uh, uh, masculinity
2: yeah, that you know, it, there doesn't necessarily seem to be a straight line connection, but there actually is a pretty compelling connection here. Because one of the things that we, that was extremely impressive to me when I was in, in Kyiv and meeting with men and women of the Ukrainian, you know, the government, of the military and civil society or responding to Russian aggression was the sense of calm, courage and conviction. In other words, there was not – people were not running around even though their, their city was under air attack every night that I was there. They were not in a sense of panic at all. Um, they were calmly determined. And so that calm sense of determination actually gave you a great de- degree of comfort that these are serious people with serious plans, serious intentions, and serious cap- capabilities. And they had demonstrated that by the results on the battlefield. They demonstrated that by the resilience of the Ukrainian uh, of the Ukrainian civil society. And so I was really struck by that sense of calm conviction, that sense of calm courage. Then I come home to the United States, you turn you you open your Twitter app, and do you see calmness in American politics? Do you see <laughs> calm conviction? no it's constant everyone's running around pulling their hair out yelling and screaming at each other like they're in the middle of a house that's on fire and and a lot of it is being done by a right wing movement that is also allegedly protecting the original vision of what traditional masculinity should be and it just was a mismatch you know i had i had read years and years and years ago when i was a much younger man i i had read you know the kipling poem rudyard kipling Kipling point, if. And one of the very first things that it says in the poem is, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, is <laughs> like the very first element that Kipling identifies as a key aspect of masculinity. And and yet a lot of our politics and a lot of our culture conflict seems to be, if you're not losing your head, there's something wrong with you. And And it just struck me how much we are cultivating in young men a kind of panic-stricken view of American life and culture. And that is actually emasculating. It is not building men. It is taking – it is not building up men. It is taking virtue from them. And so I wanted to point that out in the Times, and I did in then much of the right began to promptly prove my point by losing their minds about what I said.
1: Yes, I'm not sure you you take the same position as uh, Josh Hawley, for instance, on this, who I know you mentioned in your column. Yes. Uh, We will be right back. There's more to talk about. And uh, one of the things to talk about is the danger that you believe that DeSantis uh, represents to conservatism. And, uh, is Trump less of a danger in this upcoming battle between the uh, two titans? Uh, We will get to that and the issue of masculinity and self-control and calm determination and commitment which David French exemplifies, he exemplified it in his military service to our country as a veteran. Of uh, our uh, wars in uh, the Middle East, and uh, and more, uh, coming up with David French of The Dispatch and The New York Times on the Medved Show, the Michael
0: Medved Show, all across America. It's an honor to talk to you because I think you got the best talk show in the in the United States. Uh, Thank you,
1: I agree. This
0: is the Michael Medved Show.
1: And on the Michael Medved show, uh, great honor to be speaking uh, with David French, uh, writer for the Atlantic, for the New York Times, a senior editor at the Dispatch, and uh, uh, one of America's uh, most distinguished and accomplished uh, religious rights attorneys, and someone who is a, a an outspoken person of faith. Uh, in in terms of that faith, uh, When one of the things you write about in your column on masculinity is the problems that men have right now. I mean, in terms of graduating from college, in terms of earning capacity, in terms of uh, uh, suicides, in terms of uh, you name it. Uh, males seem to be having more trouble coping with some of the challenges of our modern world than our female counterparts what's the trouble with yeah men?
2: yeah so we do have a real situation where men are falling behind academically I mean that's incredibly well-established men die deaths of despair at astronomical rates compared to women men commit suicide at rates far greater than women and then, of course, you know, we know about criminology and, and men are more likely to both be murder victims, commit murders, uh, commit all sorts of crimes. So that that's long, 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 long been the case. But it's all adding up to the reality that an awful lot of men are feeling not just sort of purposeless or don't know sort of what their purpose is, but despair, just really deep despair. So there is a necessity of communicating to young men a sense of virtuous purpose. And it's, and to be specific, a sense of virtuous masculine purpose. What does it mean to be a young man? And so from that standpoint, a lot of people on the right who are writing about masculinity are correct to say that there's a problem. They're also correct to say that some of the institutions of the, on the left have been part of making the problem worse. So for example, the American Psychological Association came out with a statement that said that that traditional masculinity is on the whole harmful and they define traditional masculinity as consisting of traits like stoicism, competitiveness, dominance and aggression and putting aside dominance wait there's nothing inherently wrong with stoicism or competitiveness or even aggression i mean you needed you needed young men to storm the beaches at normandy right so instead of saying that those are harmful, what we say is those are characteristics that can be good or bad depending on how they're shaped. And I think that's that's within so the right identifies a problem, but it often advances the wrong solution because in in its own way, the right has rejected some of the virtues of stoicism by running around being hysterical and pet and engaging in petty trolling. Um and sometimes utilizes the worst aspects of aggression through its attempts to intimidate and its attempts to bully people. Um, So there's a proper diagnosis often on the right, but often an improper cure.
1: And uh, the uh, wrong diagnosis is and the right cure is.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things is we have to say that, a lot of these characteristics about traditional masculinity can be really, really good when shaped in the right way. So go- going back to that concept of stoicism, for example, to keep your head when people are losing theirs is a profound virtue. And so teaching people that sense of calm courage, that sense of calm conviction, I think is incredibly valuable. And also it's exactly countercultural, again, so sad to parts of the right, which are treating, teaching men to be bullying, to be hysterical, to be panicked about the course of events, to adopt a victim mindset. All of that is deeply destructive. So, I try to call people back to what are the actual virtues we're talking about. What what are the actual virtues? And um, and again, you know, this kind of idea that I'm going to maintain a sense of proportion. I'm going to keep my integrity. I'm going to demonstrate courage, and and I go back to that image of Josh Hawley. A, A man exhibiting the virtues of masculinity does not salute an unruly mob and then run from it. He resists an unruly mob.
1: Yeah, and and again, there's nothing masculine is there about um, marching into the Capitol building and poking police officers with flagpoles or carrying Confederate flags in in general. Uh, This is uh, hardly an example of the uh, masculine virtues. Uh, Are are we... um, uh, in the United States, in the conservative movement, uh, with the competition now intensifying and getting on to a dozen candidates, is there one candidate who has touched at least a note that uh, you think gets this idea of masculinity right? Well, you know,
2: I, one there's one a candidate, a person that I've admired in the Senate. I think I don't agree with everything that he's done, but, you know, Tim Scott, for example, is a person that no one doubts that he's a person of conviction, that he has deeply held beliefs, that he advances his values, that he treats people well. You know, one of the things you'll hear from about Tim Scott is that he is almost universally regarded as a kind person. Um, He has these—he has these deep values, and he manifests and lives these deep values without conforming to sort of the temper of the age. Now, again, there are things that he's done and said that I don't agree with. But that's the case with every politician. <laughs> I don't know of a, a single politician that I can say I agree with everything about them. But there is no question that a Tim Scott is a very different person from a Donald Trump, for example. And there are others who have a deep and profound uh, character, flaw, uh, character uh, qualities that say uh, a Donald Trump does not have. And I think it's it's worth applauding that when we see it and encouraging it when we see it, because there's been so much pressure applied to Republican politicians to conform to the spirit of the MAGA age, that when people still demonstrate conviction and kindness at the same time, I think they're worth paying attention to.
1: Uh, David French, always worth uh, paying uh, attention to you, and welcome back from Ukraine and very uh, encouraged to hear what you have to write about the state of morale and uh, valor of that gallant country fighting for its very light. Uh, coming up, uh, fighting for the life of uh, the Republican Party and uh, dealing with scandals of various kinds that uh, seem to be <laughs> unduly fascinating to uh, a great great many americans we will be right back are
2: you always tired with low energy do you suffer from indigestion issues and can't eat food you enjoy try balance seven it's a product with all natural ingredients to help fix these health problems click on the balance seven banner at michaelmedved.com use the code medved to get 15 bucks off your order free shipping plus a bottle of my smooth skin money back guarantee
0: Nine five five seventeen seventy-six, The Michael Medved Show.
3: Your daily dose of debate. The
0: Michael
1: Medved show and on the Michael Medved show uh, Fox News is reporting uh, today under the headline nearly 10,000 photos from Hunter Biden's laptop hit the web full colon truth and transparency uh, the piece by Kyle Morris says a trove of photos from Hunter Biden's laptop has been made available to the public through a new website Launched today, the website bidenlaptopmedia.com dot <laughs> com. Oh, is, we, I'm, I'm sure this is a uh, a worthy effort. Will house almost ten thousand photos spanning from 2008 to 2019, and took months to complete. Garrett Ziegler, the founder of the nonprofit Marco Polo. Uh, explained about the new website to Fox News. Uh, it's a quote, "It's taken us a couple of months to one, go through all the photos, about 10,000 of them, and then redact the genitalia on the photos." In other words, usually when they talk about redacting a document, they talk about crossing out words you've seen it. It looks like just those sort of black bars over words or names or numbers. Uh, this is actually, uh, there are black splotches over uh, people's private parts in, in the photos. Uh, this, <laughs> if, if they had redacted uh, some of uh, Anthony Weiner's emails, think of how the course of history could have been different. Uh, Ziegler, who puts all this together, is a former Trump White House aide. I have no idea what he did in the White House. He said the contents found on the laptop uh, were once owned by President Biden's son. And uh, the photos uh, showed remnants of the drugs Hunter Biden had used in 2018. And another that showed him cozying up with his then lover, whose name was Zoe Keston, the same year. Uh, ziegler also noted that several photos containing private information were redacted including images containing social security numbers banking information and credit card numbers additionally uh, multiple nude photos of hallie biden the widow of beau biden were redacted providing further insight in the type of content viewers can expect on the website ziegler said some content that does not carry news value will not be featured. Uh, Ziegler promised that there won't be any genitalia visible on the site and insisted that the photo project, which will display the images chronologically, covers a large swath of the first family's life and includes an array of photos. He also made it clear that this is not a hit job against the Biden family. I'm sorry. If you're focusing on Hunter Biden, whose life has been deeply, deeply troubled, I mean, this is definitely a guy who has a history that does not do credit to the uh, uh, Biden family traditions, at least as the president of the United States wants to proclaim them. Uh, He does uh, give an example of uh, something positive. He says there's a picture of a letter that Hunter's daughter Finnegan wrote. Uh, to, I assume, troops stationed overseas, like in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's an adorable letter. Finnegan's around nine years old at the time, and it definitely paints the Bidens in a good light. Well, there's something. Describing the effort as the most thorough expose of any American first family while they're in office in the history of America Ziegler said the types of photos that will be shared to the website are photos uh, that typically only become available once the presidential archives are open. And those photos only detail his time in the Oval while he was president. Uh, he's not talking about photos here in the Hunter Biden collection that uh, appeared to involve President Biden in the Oval. And I know there is this... Uh, now discussion about some charges that were sent to the fbi which the fbi apparently did not consider worthy of releasing to the public or uh fully credible uh charges about president biden himself while he was vice president receiving millions of dollars in bribes uh effectively from a foreign power this is also an item of a great conversation i um I do uh, believe that uh, it's being very aggressively pursued by Jamie Comer of the House uh, Oversight Committee, and uh, we will see. But obviously something involving the passage of money to uh, the Vice President of the United States, and that when that Vice President is now the President, is far more important Or relevant to our political system than uh, the fact that um, we we know that Hunter Biden his second son uh, did not leave an exemplary life when it came to his avoidance of drugs he was a drug addict he has admitted he actually wrote in his own book that there was a time in his life where he was taking cocaine ingesting cocaine every 15 minutes and uh, again uh, his life and some of its difficulties would be a very strong argument against those people who think it's appropriate to uh, uh, to make drugs more easily and more legally available speaking of uh, getting concerned about things that don't really deserve that concern. There's a piece in the Washington Times, the conservative alternative to the Washington Post and the nation's capital, and uh, headline, uh, conservatives struggle to digest Chick-fil-A's diversity, equity, and inclusion policy. And conservatives are finding it hard, they say, to swallow the news that Chick-fil-A has a diversity, equity, and inclusion policy. The Christian-owned fast food chain was accused of going woke after conservatives discovered a post on the company's website promoting its DEI standard known as Better Together. Chick-fil-A's incorporated commitment to being a better at together means embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in everything we do, said the website. That uh, phrase, Better Together, at one point that was the slogan for the Clinton campaign. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, the Kathy family or the people behind Chick-fil-A are giving up their Christian commitment at all. Uh, They say that uh, their idea of better at together uh, means ensuring equal access, valuing differences, and creating a culture of belonging, according to the company. What's wrong with that? Why should people be upset? Chick fil A trended Tuesday on Twitter as right tilting consumers struggled to reconcile the DEI policy with a company known for its traditional values and faith friendly approach, which includes closing on Sunday so that its employees may attend worship services. Uh, the, um, wow, Chick fil A, too, said documentary filmmaker Errol Weber. He was responding to a tweet. From political strategist uh, Joey Manorino, who said that Chick-fil-A just hired a VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This is bad, very bad. I don't want to have to boycott. Are we going to have to boycott? Actually, the uh, Chick-fil-A's did not just hire Eric McReynolds. He served as a Chick-fil-A vice president of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion since November of 2021 so we're talking about almost two years ago before that he was diversity equity and inclusion executive director a post that uh, he assumed in july 1920 july of 2020. the uh, timing suggests that chick-fil-a jumped on the dei bandwagon along with the rest of corporate america at the height of the black lives matter movement protests Anything wrong here was well, certainly wrong to turn against Chick-fil-A. We'll be right back on The Meditation. I can't believe it. Uh, during the break, listening uh, for a moment, to uh, one of the uh, the cable networks that uh, isn't Fox, uh, they were going off on this question about how Ron DeSantis pronounces his name. Now, they played various excerpts of uh, uh, Governor DeSantis saying, "Hello, I'm Ron DeSantis." And then also saying, "I'm Ron. Does I mean, in other words, it's a difference between um, making him D Santas or da Santas. And uh, g- given the fact that he's running for president, of course, everything is going to be examined. Absolutely everything. And uh, the idea." though that now he and his wife apparently are going to have to get straight the pronunciation of the family name. They have little kids. I wonder what, how do the kids say DeSantis or DeSantis? Uh, And is there some kind of deeper inclination in in this issue? Uh, I don't think so. And... uh, he is facing the kind of scrutiny that you get when you're a serious presidential candidate and he is anybody with the kind of level of success that he has politically and administratively as governor of florida the nation's third largest state uh of of course he he is somebody who is going to be getting a great deal of scrutiny but uh here is um, uh, Governor – well, let's let's just go on this show, we'll say DeSantis, okay? Duh, duh. Uh, it's pretty easy. So, uh, Governor DeSantis, speaking in Iowa, spoke about his uh, battle to the death with uh, the Disney Corporation. <laughs> which is not the uh, best fight that uh, Governor DeSantis has ever picked. Uh, Here he is, this is clip nine. All
3: of a sudden, someone else wasn't happy with it. A company in Central Florida that you may have heard of called Disney. And Disney's view was that the bill should be stopped, that we should have somehow, that would be appropriate to have Things like transgenderism taught to elementary school kids. That was their corporate position on that. And, you know, the thing about Florida is they're really the 800-pound gorilla when it comes to Florida politics. Everything they've wanted really for decades, they pretty much end up getting until now. Because there's a new sheriff in town. And we're not going to back down to a woke corporation. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, But the the corporation is uh, backing down to building, what was it, a uh, $2 billion facility in Florida that would have provided 2,000 jobs, new jobs at least. Uh, Does it benefit the state to have the state government uh, trying to battle over ideology one of the leading corporations whose main ideology seems to be making a profit and entertaining people. Uh, On another outlet that has nothing to do with Disney, this is on Fox News, uh, Larry Kudlow uh, spoke about the difficulty that uh, Governor DeSantis has getting bogged down and what that means for his future. This is clip 13.
0: I think Mr. DeSantis's messaging is completely off-key. He's barking up the wrong trees. He's getting bogged down in stuff that's not helping. For one thing, it seemed like all during the Memorial Day weekend, Governor DeSantis kept talking about our woke military. Okay, I know that's an issue, but, 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 Memorial Day should be about those brave and courageous American men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice and gave their lives in defense of American freedom. All of us should be commemorating, revering, and praying for these souls that protected our country and kept us the greatest country in the history of history. That is the message Governor DeSantis should have communicated this past Memorial Day weekend. Also, he has repeatedly come out against Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's superb debt ceiling and budget reform bill. This is crazy. This is a big mistake. And unfortunately, my friend Mike Pence has made the exact same mistake. I don't get it. What kind of message is that? Turning against the Republican leader and the Republican House? Are you a Republican, Governor DeSantis? Have you thought this through? Have you actually read the bill?
1: Uh, no, it's it's very tough. and. Uh... Then, of course, you don't expect uh, people like Nicole Wallace, who was once an aide to President George W. Bush. Uh, she is now no longer much of a Republican. She's on MSNBC. But uh, she actually spoke about one of DeSantis' speeches in, um, in Iowa, played some excerpts where he's uh, trying to poke back at Trump and not doing that well. And uh, uh, this is her verdict. It's clip 15.
3: I wish the elites in Washington, D.C. would take a page out of the Iowa playbook. Two different sets of rules, depending on whether you're a member in good standing of elite society or not. These elites are not enacting an agenda to represent us, like our elites have done with the Chinese Communist Party for more than a generation. China has been empowered by elites in our own country for decades.
0: So he is just the
2: facts here—an elite. And these—I mean, frankly,
0: if you're going to run against Donald Trump and Joe Biden, you're the elite, Ron. I mean, what is he doing?
1: The uh, the question about Ron uh, Ron DeSantis and his elite status—the one thing he he could talk about more would be his service in the U.S. military, uh, which was honorable. Uh, he was in the United States Navy, Judge Advocate General Corps. Or I guess in the Navy they it, it's it's called differently, but for goodness sake, he's one of those relatively rare Americans who, despite his undergraduate degree from Yale and his law degree from Harvard, Uh, chose to serve in our military and to serve our country. And give him credit for that. They they say in the New York Times, and they give it a front-page story, after absorbing months of attacks from Donald Trump that went mostly unanswered, Mr. DeSantis has borrowed one of his rival's favorite lines, I'm going to counterpunch and jab back. He called one of the spending bills that Mr. Trump signed grotesque and accused him of increasing the national debt he said the way mr trump had sided with disney and mr de war with the entertainment giant was bizarre he described mr trump's criticism of the governor's handling of covid as ridiculous and he dared mr trump to take a position on the debt limit bill uh pending in washington Are you leading from the front, Mr. DeSantis said, almost teasingly, or are you waiting for polls to tell you what position to take? I think that uh, President Trump has made a calculation that uh, basically the debt ceiling deal is going forward. I uh, share the point of view expressed by Larry Kudlow that you heard, that this is a great achievement. Uh, It's a great, great credit and an enormous credit to uh, uh, to Kevin McCarthy, and uh, that Republicans should take pride in it and should take pride that two-thirds of the Republicans in the House of Representatives supported this. This is why it was a good thing that they won control of the House, because if they hadn't won control of the House, the debt ceiling would have been raised with what uh, President Biden calls a clean raise in the debt ceiling, without any cutbacks in liberal boondoggle programs and wasteful spending. A tricky balancing act uh, lies ahead for Mr. DeSantis, says the New York Times. All of these comments came not on stage in his first campaign speech before hundreds of Republicans uh, attending an evangelical church, but during a 15-minute news conference with reporters afterward. He did not mention mr trump by name when he spoke directly to voters much of his uh his first four iowa stops and what they're saying is there's a difficulty for uh for desantis and for other candidates on the republican side is yes you want to talk about why you're different from trump why you're better for than trump people should vote for you But at the same time, you don't want to alienate people who feel a deep personal loyalty to the former president uh, of this greatest nation on God's green earth.